1: Hi, Lit Up listeners. Before we get to this episode, we want to take a moment to address the June 24th Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. This decision stripped away the legal right to have a safe and legal abortion. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. This decision could also lead to the loss of other rights, to learn more about what you can do to help, go to choice.crd.co. We encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. From Sugar23, I am Angela Ledgewood, and this is Lit Up. Today, I'm speaking with one of my favorite women to talk to, Lisa Tedeo. She has been on Lit Up twice already, and this is her third time back to talk about her new collection of stories called Ghost Lover. You've probably heard of her work already. Three Women was an absolutely outrageous sensation, as was her follow-up novel, Animal. Now, there's a reason I always love to talk to Lisa, and... It's actually not because I adore reading her work, and I will explain why. I find uh, reading her work really difficult, and that's because I feel she's so good at getting to the heart of the female psyche and mind, and I often find that I don't want to go there with her. I'm not in the mood to get emotional and to really connect to a character in the way that Lisa forces me to with her work. Yeah, I definitely get that tummy dropping feeling. And sometimes reading her work makes me feel kind of edgy and vulnerable. But I think that's because I'm forced to peel back those layers of protection that I have in everyday life to just like get on with the world and her stories force me to kind of cut through all that. I think... I am not alone, and so many people have this experience with her work, which is why we're both drawn to it and sometimes kind of repelled by it. So while reading Lisa's work makes me feel like I'm really excavating those darker aspects of myself and of womanhood, I find talking to Lisa Tadeo a totally joyous experience because she's so warm and open and funny and has like a lightness that I think you'll really enjoy. And she's one of my favorite guests because of this exact reason. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Three
0: times, three books... I, I, and I love talking to you every time. Thank you so much for wanting to talk to me again. <laughs> oh my goodness, of
1: course. So firstly, I have to ask, um, this collection of stories, Ghost Lover, harkens back to the type of provocative wantings of of women in general that I think you explored so well in Three Women. At what stage did you start writing these stories compared to three women? Was it before? Were were some of them happening in between?
0: I wrote most of them when I was getting my MFA at Boston University. So I wrote them during school then, and that was in the interim between three women being sort of finished and kind of like edited. Many were informed by the women that I met um, and the men that I met researching that book, it's hard to say like where my life ended and and three women research began. And so I feel like the stories in Ghost Lover, some of them come from just my my regular life, my friends, myself, my observations mainly of the way that we judge one another as women. And uh, a lot of it is meant to sort of provoke as as you correctly said in the sense of like you have probably seen yourself doing this or someone you know has done this for me it's kind of like exposing the stuff that we don't necessarily want to believe about one another i think that was that did start with three women like when i was writing about lena you know, the housewife in rural Indiana, I was conscious of the fact that if I talked about her having suicidal thoughts that people would condemn her as a bad mother and not want to listen to her story anymore. With Maggie, the young woman who had the alleged relationship with the teacher in North Dakota, I I knew that, like, talking about other things she had done and, and, and such would be would be would give people reason to go, oh, well, then she probably meant to do that too. But at the same time, as knowing those unfortunate residuals of telling the truth, I also felt like it made the most sense to tell the truth, that telling the truth, even in satire, even in hyper-realized, almost hyperbole of the way that we can be, is the truth best way to sort of reach that inner core of where we can find empathy for one another.
1: When I was reading these stories, I got the classic Lisa Tadeo tummy drop, (laughs) which happens with all your work. The voice of your women is so unique to your style, and it's so direct and visceral. That's why I call it the tummy drop, because I know you're getting to the guts of the issues or the situation or the real women's thoughts. And I think so often in life, it's so much safer to guard ourselves against those feelings. So I feel it was like, okay, I'm going to read two more stories and see where they take us. But one in particular, which I think, you know, really hits upon something that if you've been dating in this modern world, you can relate to. And it's a character called Grace. And she's gone on an app called Venus, and she's older. You know, she's 51, and she's trying to lie about her age, and it's the kind of app that you have to be invited on. And I wondered, like, why explore that vantage point for this character? Maybe that vantage point is just having been young once and not being so anymore and how we look at and judge younger women, but how we also want to still be one. Yeah. What was that story about?
0: So for me, ageism, it's such a wild thing. It's a wild notion to me that anyone is ageist because we're all, th- there is no truer truth until we figure out you know, cryogenesis than the fact that we're all going to get older. and yet it feels like older women and by older women, I mean like wherever one draws the line, the line is different depending on the group of people and and whatever. but let's say let's let's say grace, right? who is fifty one? If she were to meet, and I think it's different with Grace because I think Grace has a lot of self-awareness. But I, if, if, a, if a 51-year-old woman in Grace's general position of being single, and not just being single, but of having had a real rough early beginnings to things, not a lot of the women in, in my stories don't have the benefit of a good head start in life think that a 51-year-old woman looking to date, right, looking at a let's say a 21-year-old woman, someone 30 years her junior. There's this like this this fracture immediately, right, where the older woman often thinks that the younger woman does not know anything that she's just making silly mistakes or or taking her youth for granted. The younger woman in turn often looks at the older woman and thinks, oh, God, like, how sad, how pathetic. I'll never be there. And the truth is that, you know, the 51-year-old woman was where the 21-year-old woman was. And the 21-year-old woman will, you know, God willing, be where the 51-year-old woman is. And the idea that we don't sort of take those 30 years and look at them and see how we can have a conversation with each other about what happens and, and how the young person can remind the older person of what was there of of hope and, and other things to that end, I find very sad. You know, it's like, we're not allowed to have these negative feelings. We're not allowed to have these negative observations about ourselves. And Grace feels like she needs to lie on the dating site because she has seen more examples of how it doesn't work out than how it does and yet we are still taught to do the same thing to believe in the same hopes and dreams to you know to not to not knock our age to not get Botox to not you know do XYZ at the same time that there is literally an entire industry telling us that if we don't we are expired milk the the split between what we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to grow and the wisdom we're supposed to have and and what we actually have to deal with on a daily basis to me is is such a a wild canyon of a difference that I like exploding it and talking about it cuz I feel like we just pretend it doesn't exist.
1: Hmm. Do you think it exists more in certain places, because I found I identified a lot, well, A, a lot of the stories take place in Los Angeles or New York to very particular cities that revere, A, youth, beauty, success, mm-hmm. and are quite very status-oriented. And I I feel like you capture that so well and, and so uniquely within the writing about each city. What has your experience been in these places and how they each kind of form and mold a culture around beauty and age?
0: Yeah, um, that's a great question. I Well, for one, I've lived in in many places. Uh, I lived in L.A., I've lived in New York the most. I I feel like L.A. really does bring out the ageism thing more so than in New York. That being said, I, I think that while New York and L.A., like are sort of put this great value on beauty and age. They also have the most room for people of different ages getting together, but it's only at the sort of upper echelons that that happens. So, you know, if you go out to kind of middle America, it's there's less of a value on on beauty and age. Because it's not in your face, but it's still there. It's just kind of like a, it's just very watered down. And I think actually that in, you know, that's why in, in the titular story, Ghost Lover, the woman, Ari, who is suffering from a lot of these same feelings, is building this whole business, essentially, in the hopes that that will make her appealing to this person. It's not about, in the end, being appealing to a man for me, it's being appealing to yourself, but our culture has put that in the terms of how a man views you in so many ways. And, and certainly for women in Grace's generation and, and a little bit younger than that, that's kind of the way that they grew up. It's funny because we talk about how, you know, oh, well, men didn't know that they weren't allowed to whistle until this year. And it's like, okay, well, women didn't know that they weren't allowed to, you know, get Botox until. Like, it's just like that we don't make the same allowances um, for women behaving badly. And I like telling stories about women behaving badly and by behaving badly, sometimes that means liking the wrong person or being obsessed with someone. But really the obsession is to find someone who will understand you and, and for you to understand yourself. And that's really the sort of the constant battle is to be enough for yourself. But at the same time, you know, when you've been through a lot of grief and pain, being alone in it is kind of the most devastating thing. So a lot of these women um, are coming from something very dark and disturbed and are needing more than just, you know, a kind of self-help on how to find yourself in Manhattan.
1: I feel like so many of these women and women in general are trapped still within seeing themselves within the male gaze and I feel part of what's happening now in our culture which is really positive is breaking that and finding confidence well a from within which sounds kind of cliche but we all need that but there does seem to be a shift happening that women are taking back the gays do you sense that cuz my feeling is that the women in these stories are trapped in kind of for those before years and i'm talking just like a few years ago
0: i think that the, for younger generations i think the women in their 20s right now that and i'm only i'm saying this because of you know the the women in their 20s that i've met and know um i feel like are markedly better at, at, at voicing their needs and wants and at not making it all about a man. At the same time, I also think that we've gotten worse to, to each other. And I think that I think people in um, my generation and older are still kind of stuck in that rut of women kind of shaming one another, whether privately or publicly. And I think younger women do that a lot less. So I think there's a lot of hope. I think a lot of that comes from me too, obviously. And I think also, you know, we just have general cultural evolution that, that brings us forward, even if sometimes it involves taking a couple of steps back.
1: Hey, Lit Up listeners, I want to tell you about a show I think you'll enjoy. It's called Play on Podcasts, epic audio adventures that reimagine Shakespeare's timeless tales, featuring original music composition and the voices of award-winning actors. Each episode explores plays from Macbeth to A Midsummer Night's Dream in a way that you can actually understand, and created specifically for the podcast form, by some of America's most exciting playwrights, directors and composers and performed by Stage and Screen's Best. Check out their current season of King Lear that stars Emmy winner Keith David and Severance star Tramel Tillman. Hear Shakespeare like you've never heard before. Subscribe to Play on Podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. Well, Can you also explain in Ghost Lover exactly the the service that Ari comes up with? And I feel like it's almost like having that best friend, you know, the one that's so clever and witty and always grabs your phone to go, oh, you cannot write that, you crazy woman. Like, write this. Mm -hmm. So what is is this app and where can we download it? (laughs)
0: Well, it's exactly what you just said is where that sort of came from. My friends and I would be, you know, in Manhattan in in our 20s, like rewatching old episodes of Six Sex in the City and like trying to figure out like how to be happy, how to be successful in New York. And we would be concurrently, you know, unpacking these text messages from from significant others or non-significant others, And then we would be like, "Here, just just take my phone. take it for the night. Don't let me, don't let me write him back. Just take my phone. But then, you know, eventually, like, you know, eleven p m. hits, and it's like, just give it back. I just need to. I just need to. I just need to. So my feeling was, what if you're paying for someone to to essentially mother you through this process that you're not going to go back on? And so the idea was that, like having one of those witty friends would be a group of witty women who would know exact, and also some men perhaps in there too would know exactly what to say and how to craft a response that, that would yield the desired result from the the crush. So yeah, I just love the idea of like a glassy building somewhere in LA where there's like a switchboard and all these women are just like sitting there going like, Oh, Oh, Joe just texted, you know, like this team made up essentially of people who might be your friends, but they're not your friends. You're paying them and you have to pay them and you're going to accept what they give you.
1: I think it's a brilliant idea and I'm glad Ari (laughs) finds success with it because (laughs) I also think you'd have to plug in to the system your weaknesses, the certain things that you have a a certain problem with or what this type of, what, it's always about what you think he wants to hear, which is also a way, which is also so dumb, isn't it? Because the real way to weed out the guys Mm -hmm. that aren't right for you is to be honest. But I guess in the beginning of things, it's always tricky
0: when you're in the beginning of something, you are your best self. That's why a lot of people cheat. You know, that's the reason for most infidelity is because you're like, oh, I am I wanna you know, look my best today and I wanna be really happy and I wanna be loving towards the world because I want this person to see how loving I am. And, but when you're in a shitty mood or you've been in a relationship for a couple of years and everything is ho-hum or whatever, you're not doing that stuff for yourself and for your partner. The idea of being honest, right, like with someone, there's a lot of lines for that, and it's hard to know what the line is. I think there's like a, a new move in like women going, oh, no, don't play games. Don't do that. You know, no playing games. No, you know, that that's antiquated. That's what our moms did. And it's for me, it's not. I don't think it's antiquated to, to play games. And I think the word playing games is a misnomer for what is essentially putting on the best version of yourself. And I think that sometimes we need help doing that, you know, the same way we need help prepping for SATs.
1: I also think we need help even after we've been in a relationship for a few years. Like, I think it's good to mm-hmm. almost take stock totally. and go... I think I need to tap back into that original best self, like you yeah. said for for myself, but also for that other person to give them a glimpse of that person again. Um, exactly. How do you do that?
0: I don't. Please <laughs> <Lisa. laughs> don't do it at all. I am so terrible. I have been. I mean, I've been very busy. So I feel like the thing that I have overlooked the most has definitely been my relationship with my husband. And I'm, I'm sure that he would agree. I, uh, you know, I think about it all the time, not not enough, but I do think about it. I'm just like, oh, okay, after I get done with this work week, I will figure out how to get back to being a good wife and, you know, all the rest of it. But It's hard. It just feels like unless they're in grave danger, you're kind of like, okay, I can just let that coast for a little bit longer. But that's how the grave danger happens.
1: Isn't it? Because, I mean, I think of the women in your stories and maybe we women around the world and men have connected with these characters because men have many of the same feelings that these women have too. We've all been each side of the relationship. And even in the current ones, it's an ebb and flow of who is feeling a little more like lovable, you know? And the other exactly. one's feeling like, oh, I need to step it up. But I think I've definitely found myself in that that position of like, oh my gosh, I want to love and I want to be in love knowing kind of having realistic expectations of what that means but trying desperately not to be a desperate woman and Mm -hmm. what does that even mean because we've felt it and then we've seen it in our friends and then we kind of do that work to be okay with who we are but it's hard
0: It's really hard. And I also think that we're constantly sort of moving the goalposts on what desperation is and what the right way to be desperate is and what it all means. I'm sure you and I have talked about it too, but like Lena, the woman in Indiana and three women who reconnects with her high school love because her husband doesn't kiss her or want to touch her. So many people called her pathetic. And that really, really made me sad because I didn't. I didn't think she was pathetic. I thought that given everything in her life that was going on and given the fact that she had been raped as a young woman, given all of the things that had lined up to to give her this bad start and now she's finally, you know, within the the book, she was finally going after something she actually wanted, and and it might not have been the quote-unquote right thing to want, but it was the right thing for her, and it was the right thing to get her out of that sort of feeling dead in her life and her marriage and everything. She just felt like she was cleaning the house and taking care of kids, and there was nothing that fed her above and beyond her children. In her community, children... a nice enough home and a nice enough husband who didn't beat her was enough and wanting more is not okay for lena so i think that anyone saying that a, a woman's desire is pathetic there's nothing more cruel than to say that about someone else and to kind of make judgments on what is pathetic what is desperate how do we not act desperate why should we not act desperate why can't we be desperate you know what i mean like why is that not okay desperation is another human emotion and and i think that having the stigma about it is what makes it an even worse emotion to handle than it would be if it were acceptable
1: do you think now having published three women and animal and now just ghost lover that you've heard from men who feel a that They're misrepresented in the stories or that they identify so strongly as the wanting side of things. It hasn't
0: been a lot. That's true. I'm really interested because I haven't heard that many. I think that men who are in the wanting space are very much out there. Though I will say there was a man, I was giving a a talk at a literary festival and there was a man who said um, something to the effect of like, you know, you women say you want romance, but like when we give you romance, like you like laugh in our faces and blah, blah, blah. And, And he just like stood up and kind of like kind of ragefully was pinning on me the sort of everything that was wrong, what we what we don't understand. We don't know what we want. Some have had like really well-formed thoughts and opinions and others have had less so. I would love to hear well-formed thoughts and opinions about the women in my piece and and the men who you know who they're thinking about.
1: I also want to talk about how your life has changed. I've this phenomenon that has been your work and how it's been received and i remember when we spoke about three women it was before it had even been published it was one of those you know pre interview mm-hmm. things and we yeah. had such a lovely time and you were talking about your work then in the same way you do now but the world has had a reaction to you and you're still lisa how <laughs> how have you processed that it's weird
0: A lot of the times because like last night I had my book launch event, you know, as we were talking about earlier in in Brooklyn. And there were so many women who came and who were just like, oh, my God, I I've read all your stuff. It just it was such a different, you know, because the pandemic, even though I did a lot of events for Animal, a lot of them were virtual. So it was interesting to see how things had sort of changed and moved and people like being aware of me in a, in a new way but I obviously as you said I'm still Lisa I still regard myself the same way I am still and forever I sadly I think will be sort of defined by my trauma and my fears and my anxieties so. For me, it's not like I'm in this like vacuum of like, oh, I've had success as a writer and you know, and and all these things and TV stuff, and it's all exciting. But for me, it's like those same demons that helped me write those books are the same ones that I will always have, and they're the same ones I'll always be.
1: Well, you mentioned TV too, and I heard that you know, the series Three Women's coming out soon, but how. you decided, or tell me who decided, that it was important to have you as a character in there as the piece connecting these three women. Did you, Um, has it, seeing yourself be characterised, has it made you kind of think differently about yourself or just notice things about you?
0: Shailene Woodley, who is playing the quote-unquote me character is a lot of fictionalized stuff in there and and a lot of it is also real but you know she very much made her own character someone said oh my god that's just like what you do and I'm like oh my god did she watch me but she's really created this this new character that is is wholly hers and I find it really really cool In terms of the idea for the character, it was actually my husband's idea and also a lot of people that I spoke to about it in general were like, well, you have to be a character. You know that, right? And I would be like, what? No, no, I don't. But what happened when we were starting to kind of write it is we had these distinct three stories, these distinct women. In the book, they're connected by the fact that they're in this book together and the person who connects them is me who has found them and and been with them and become close to them. And so gradually, when we were like trying to look for other threads to tie the stories together thematically and, and whatnot, it just never felt real or right. And it's like, well, we have the real thing um, that actually happened. And so many people who interviewed me about three women continue to, uh, you know, want to know how did you, meet these people? How did you find them? How did you get them to tell you these things? What were those relationships like? And so I felt that the show would be able to give, you know, specifically people who liked the book or read the book an extra layer behind it. So it's not just a retelling or a a reimagining on the screen, but it's like kind of the backstory also.
1: Mm. And how involved were you then once the script was written? Were you on set all the time? What was that experience like?
0: I was. I was on set a lot of the time. I was there for, for much of it. There was and continue to be like 500 emails a day about, you know, colors and wardrobe and and, and every single thing. I mean, of course, I also had a very talented team of people Uh, working with me. So if it's terrible, I'll take the blame for it. And if it's good, I will take some of the credit for it.
1: (laughs) I have to ask, when you found out that Harry Styles was reading Three Women, what was your reaction?
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, first of all, I'm a huge fan of his period, but my daughter, who's seven, started being obsessed with him when she was like five. And so I was so excited to show my daughter the news article because I was like, this is, oh, this is the beginning of me being a cool mom. I'm a cool mom. See, tell all your
1: friends. Is there fiction or nonfiction that you go to to ground yourself, to get back to you, to remind yourself yourself? of the writing you love and just to block out the noise.
0: Yes. I go back to Joy Williams all the time, Barry Hanna, Lucia Berlin, Elena Ferrante, Natalia Ginsberg, uh, William Trevor, Alice Munro. I, I just, Grace Paley, I go back to the people that are the most beautiful writers um, that I can think of. Less about plot, more about conveying an entire experience, entire life in one sentence. Those are the writers that I go back to, to ground myself.
1: And what lights you up?
0: Um, Not being afraid on any given
1: day. Oh, I love that. Isn't that the best when people say, <laughs> what would you do if you weren't afraid or fearful of things? And I yeah, think... Totally. Wow. Okay. Oh there'd be some God. change. Why wow. don't I do it? Right there. now, yes, exactly. Lisa, thank you so so much. Thank what a you pleasure, so much, always. Andrew, I love it talking is. to you all the time. Thank you. Well, really lovely. Congratulations on the launch of another book, and thank you. I can't wait for people to to read it and connect with it thank as you. they do with all your work.
0: Thank you so much. I love talking oh. to you every time. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Lit Up is a podcast from Sugar23. It's hosted by me, Angela Ledgewood, and is produced by Liam Billingham. Olivia Olmer is the marketing and editorial consultant. Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. Andre Rodovsky writes the theme music. See you in two weeks.